0: starting our new series today. This is what we do. And I need to kind of catch you up from last week. Um, if you have a puzzle piece, if you didn't, uh, if you weren't here last week, what we asked you to do with a puzzle piece was to put your initials on the back of that puzzle piece. And then we want you to pray about what God wants you to do in his kingdom. We believe that God has created every person to do something in the kingdom of God. Um, and so what we said was, um, when, when you feel like you're plugged in at new life or some other church, if you, if you're just a guest here and you go somewhere else Take this piece, put your initials on it, lay it on the altar at your church. Don't tell your pastor what's going on. Just see if it blows his mind or whatever. Um, but if you're a member here or if you're a regular attender here, we believe that God has called you here to get plugged in for a reason. So you put your initials on the back. When you feel like you're plugged into a ministry, then you come up here at just some point, very nonchalantly, you put it on the the front of the altar. Last week, I don't know, we had 19 or 20 people come up and put theirs here and, and we're just asking you to continue praying about that. I know some people weren't here last week, but but here's what I show them this picture kind of gives an illustration of what a typical church is like. If you are a piece of the puzzle and you're not plugged into the puzzle, then that picture is incomplete and our ministries at new life are incomplete. And honestly, this is more than what we have up here. And that may be an accurate picture of new life. I know it's been an accurate picture of almost every church I've ever been a part of because not enough people are plugged in. So when you feel like God has given you a place to plug in, a place to serve, you just very nonchalantly put this up here. Now, what we said was this: the suitcase represents um, a person, a life. Every person is a creation of God, but every not every person is a child of God. So when I was thinking about this this week, um, I've been studying the Book of Leviticus. I'm going very slowly now. I'm doing one chapter a day, and I'm studying the the the, uh, the book, and then I'm writing down in my little journal what God is teaching me, and I've got different verses that. I'm, that I'm memorizing. And one of the things in Leviticus that God said over and over, he said, be holy because I am holy. Holy means set apart. It means separate. And so when I thought about this, that this week, I thought, you know, that's a very, very staggering statement for God to make to people be holy because I don't have the power in myself to become holy. I can't make myself holy. I can't make you holy. You can't make yourself holy. And so if I was going to become holy, if you were going to become holy, God would have to do something on my in my behalf to pay for my sins so that I might become holy. And that's exactly what he did. Look at this. verse. I heard this at a concert last week, but this is one of my memory verses right now. He and I want to put the parentheses in there so you know who's talking. He God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God did something that that if you study the Bible, you understand substitutionary atonement. The only way someone can be made holy is if an innocent third party dies and the blood covers them. Uh, We're told in the scripture that, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So what we said was this represents a person. The person was created with an emptiness inside, put there by the creator that can only be filled by the cross. In order to become a child of God, you must ask Jesus to be the forgiver your sins, the leader of your life. When you do, he takes up residence inside your life. And we said, because he is a, He is a perfect gentleman. He never moves in without bringing housewarming gifts. So God, the Holy Spirit has given you at least one spiritual gift. It is your job to figure out what your spiritual gift is to unwrap that. And then to use it. The Bible tells The reason we're given spiritual gifts is to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the local church. If you're not involved in a local church, you cannot build it up. Therefore, you cannot please your heavenly Father until you're building up His local body, which is also called the the Bride of Christ. If you don't like the Bride of Christ, then I'm willing to bet you do not like Christ Himself. You figure out your spiritual gift, you unwrap it. Now, we said that God created you with certain passions. There are certain things you like to do, and that rep- this heart represents what you're passionate about. And and so you have talents and abilities, and you're passionate about certain things, and, and God did that on purpose. He didn't mess up. So your natural abilities were given to you by God at birth. Your supernatural spiritual gifts were given to you by God at your rebirth when you asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to lead your life. Now. We also believe as Christ followers that God provides everything. Uh, Paul said in, in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of your needs, not your greeds, all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God owns it all. God's the, the provider of it all. So we said that everything we have, the next breath we breathe, the family that we have, everything we have comes from God. They are gifts to us. Now, uh, God is very, very concerned with your heart. Because if your heart is not right, then your eyes are not right. If your heart is not right, your mouth is not right. Your your mind is not right. Your hands are not right. Your feet are not right. You go places, you do things, you say things, you have attitudes you should not have because your heart is not right. And so when I was thinking about this, this whole sermon today, here's what I thought about. I thought, you know, the closer I get to Christ, the bigger my heart gets the more generous I become, the more loving I become. The farther I get away from God, the more my heart shrinks. And the Bible says one of the greatest things that we face as Christ followers is hard-heartedness. Whether that's divorce or whether that's um, kindness, if we're hard-hearted, we're not going to see other people as valuable. And so what I realize is the closer I get to Christ, the more I see myself as unworthy and I cannot make myself holy. The only way I get into heaven is based on the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. God declares me holy because Christ does something in me. So that's the only way I become holy. And, and what I've realized is as I become close to Christ, I see myself as unworthy. As I get far away from Christ, I see others as unworthy. And you do too. When you become hard-hearted and judgmental, that's a clear indication that you have moved away from your Heavenly Father. And so I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about some things that come from the heart. These things do not make you a Christian. They reveal whether your heart is big and like the Father's, or whether it's shriveled and hard. And specifically what I'm going to talk to you about the next couple weeks is generosity. Um, I desperately, desperately want our church to be generous, uh, you saw all of these clothes out here, um, on the 26th. We're gonna be giving away clothes. We'll have probably about a hundred families lined up before nine o'clock on the 26th. We'll register them and they'll come in. They'll get to, uh, they'll get to get, as, they'll get a trash bag and they can just stuff as many clothes as they want in that trash bag. They'll also get a, uh, a bag of, of groceries. And this is an awesome bag of groceries. By the way, we need some of these sacks. These are Walmart sacks. They're 50 cents at Walmart. And so if you get this, there's two sizes. Right now, there's only the small size. We do not want to give a little hand purse worth of, of food to people. We want to do something. This, this probably weighs about 40 pounds is what I'm guessing. We want to do this. And the reason we use these bags is because they can hold a lot. So we want people to come in. We want to bless them. In fact, I would love to give every family two or three of these bags. It depends on how generous you are. And so then what we do is we take those cards and we started a new tradition in our family last year. So on Christmas Eve, we um, we took some of the cards, some of the names, and some of you did this too, and we took some of the names from, this, um, from our clothing giveaway, food giveaway, and we actually put together Christmas goodie boxes. Janie loved it, and Rachel and Hannah, they got together, and they put all of this stuff together. We took four or five names, and on Christmas Eve, Jeff and Teresa came over to our house. We loaded up in my pickup. We turned on the Christmas lights down here because we have those on for our big Christmas celebration. We drove through in my truck, and then we went and looked at some other Christmas lights, and then we went to these four or five homes, and we delivered these these boxes, these Christmas boxes, and it was, it was an awesome, fun time. Um, one time, the girls ran through the dark; they couldn't see, and they knocked on the door. They were just going to leave it on there, and it was hysterical listening to them run and, and almost die uh, on, on the day before Jesus was born. Um, but but they got back in laughing. It was the funniest thing. And then one address, we don't know if we read it wrong or if they, it, we just you know couldn't understand their writing. We could not find this one address, so we have this one box left, and so we drive around this neighborhood, and we're just kind of stalking, you know, we're we're looking in through the windows, and we go, oh, there's one, there's a family, has little kids, because we had some stuff in the box that would be great for little kids, so we knock on the door, they come out, they don't speak a lick of English, we don't speak any Spanish, and we're like, Merry Christmas, and we hand it to them, and they look at us like we're the craziest people they've ever seen, we get back in the car, and we drive off, and, and our hearts were enlarged just because we did something with no strings attached. Now, in January, I talked to Nicole about this. A lady came up to me last week and said she used to be in a church where they would do a free medical clinic once a month. Now, we're not ready to do that, but we are maybe ready to do it once a year. And so I I texted Nicole. I said, what do you think about doing a free medical clinic in January? And just seeing what happens. I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea how many people would come. I have no idea how much that would cost. I just want to be a part of a church that is irrationally generous and just give stuff away because God has blessed us. So we're gonna do that in January and then we're gonna to go to Haiti again next year. And, and every year we take about $2,000 worth of just, just, uh, they call it ministry money. It's just money to buy supplies to work on something. And, and honestly, I don't think $2,000 is enough. I think we ought to double that next year because I want us to be generous. And here's why I want you to be generous. There's, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, one is because God is a giver and we want to be like him. But second, I know that generous people will be blessed by God. I know that stingy people will be per- cursed by God. And let me give you a couple of, of definitions. Blessed means having the supernatural power of God working for you. Anybody want the supernatural power of God working for you? Cursed is the opposite of that. Cursed means having the supernatural power of God working against you. Seems like a no-brainer to me. I want God's power working for me. Now, somebody's going to accuse me. I already know this is coming. Accuse me of being one of those prosperity, you know, name it and claim it. Um, if you have enough faith, God's going to bless you. Read Hebrews 11, and that gives you my in, uh, my beliefs about God. Some people receive incredible blessings in this life. Some people, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says some were sawn in two because they believed in God. Some were beheaded. Some lost loved ones because they were radical followers of Jesus. Being blessed may or may not mean that you get wealthy in this world standards. Here's what I guarantee you blessed means. It means you will have a standard, a quality of life that many billionaires would envy because you have the supernatural power of God working for you. I don't know if God, I, I will never tell you that if you give a hundred bucks, God's going to give you a thousand bucks the, the next day. I, that rarely happens. We have people, uh, Kai um, Gunn is in the hospital right now, three years old and has leukemia. Bad things happen in this world because of natural laws and because sin entered the world with Adam and Eve. I'm not telling you that if you give, you're going to get ten times that much. But I am telling you that God promises he will bless you. And because he's God, he gets to choose what that blessing is. And I'll take a healthy family. Over riches any day. Not and I don't even mean physically healthy, I mean emotionally close, healthy family. There's not money can't buy that. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions today. Um, how many of you feel rich? Some of you do. Woo! first service, nobody raised their hands. Um now, let me let me tell you some statistics. If you own one car, I'm not even going to ask you how many you own. If you own one car, you're in the top 6 to 9% of the wealthiest people on the planet. You 6 to 9%ers. Because I I know none of you walked to church today. Uh, Now, If I ask you if you feel wealthy, many of you would not say that you feel rich because you're going to compare yourself to somebody else. And in America, there's always somebody richer, right? But if you compare yourself to third world countries, for for instance, Haiti, where 90-something percent of people do not own a vehicle, then you're very rich. Now, you... I think you topped six to nine percenters. Depending on how you drove to church today, it is possible that you passed six, count them, six donut places in Palestine. Three of them are donut palaces, right? I mean, depending on how creative you were, you could have passed that. Now, you six to nine percenters are going to go get in your vehicle today, and you're going to drive past six, seven, maybe ten restaurants to go to your favorite restaurant, and if I really hurry, you're going to beat the Methodists. Don't count on it. Um... (laughs) you 're going to be irritated when you get to this favorite restaurant because it 's Sunday, and the Methodists meet you there and you have to wait five minutes to get to your table you 're going to be ticked but you 're going to go in and sit down and somebody 's going to take your order they 're going to bring you water whatever you drink they 're going to bring your food at the end they 're going to clean up your mess you 're going to get back in your vehicle you 're going to drive to your home and many of you are going to push a button and what 's going to happen this door is going to come up and what are you going to do you 're going to drive your vehicle into its own house. You have a house for your car some of you have a two or three House uh, car house however I meant to say that you're going to put it in it but some of you have so much stuff that your house is not your car is now homeless it doesn't get to stay in its house because your stuff is in its house now because we're in Texas and it's August when you go into your house from your car's house what's been running the whole time you've been gone this morning your air conditioner you have a machine that conditions your air there is no global warming in your house. If there is, you're calling Heath. Heath, get over here. Air Plus, come fix this. It's 70 whatever degrees you decide in your house, regardless of what it is outside. Now, some of you, hopefully most of you, are going to take a shower before you get into your bed tonight. And you're going to have different Temperatures. There's one temperature in Haiti and it's whatever the big black, uh, there's a holding tank for water on top. And if you're first, you get some warm water. If you're last, it's chilly. And you know who's last because they go, (gasps) (laughs) what's wrong? And they can't talk because it's kind of chilly. You're going you're gonna to crawl into your nice, comfortable bed. And then in the morning, you're going to get up and you're going to walk into your closet. And, and you're going to run your fingers along your clothes. And, and some of you don't even have one story. You have two stories of clothes. And you're going to run your fingers along. And what are you going to say? I don't have anything to wear. We are extraordinarily wealthy. You ask the average American, though, do you feel rich? What's the average American going to say? No. You ask the average American... Are you generous? What do you think they're going to say? Most of them say, I'm as generous as the next person. There's a problem with that. Because I was listening to a pastor talk about this this week, I was listening to his sermon, and then I was reading in a book uh, another sermon, and so I decided to Google and find out what was going on. In 2014, it was reported on our tax um, our tax returns that um, Christians gave Christians to the church gave 1.8 percent of their income to the church. That doesn't sound generous to me, and I do not believe it pleases God. Uh, I told the early service, whenever I look at a, at, at a political candidate, I always look to see how much they give. And, and don't think that if you're, if you can't give when you, when you have a little bit that you're going to give when you have a lot, because most of these political candidates give less than 2% of their income and they're making millions of dollars. To me, that's unacceptable. And in fact, I don't want to vote for somebody who's like that because they're not generous. Now, as a Christ follower, we want to be Generous. We we don't do what the world does. We want to have irrational generosity because look what Paul says. Paul is quoting Jesus in Acts twenty. Paul is about to leave. he's about to go to Jerusalem. He's about to put, be put in prison, and and he, he's going to be in prison most of the rest of his life. He tells these people, "I'm never going to see you again." And then one of the last things he says is this in Acts chapter twenty verse thirty five. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said. He himself said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." Who said that? If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, then I probably should try to put this into practice and learn what He's talking about. If I'm going to say Jesus is my Lord, then then I need to to figure out that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, I know I know some of you are uptight a little bit. People get funny when you talk about money. Hang on, it's just going to get funnier. Um, if I were to ask you how many of you want to give more than you have, I think everybody would raise their hand. I want to give more. Why don't people give more? Well, it's because of the scarcity mindset. All right. Here's what the scarcity mindset says. Go and put that next slide up there. We believe that God provides. God gives us all we need. Philippians 419. God will supply all of your needs, not your greeds. We believe God supplies. We consume it because we think it all belongs to us. And when we consume it all, we lack. We have more months at the end of the money. And and what happens when you, when you've got all of this month left and no money, what is the dominant emotion that you feel? Fear, sadness. (laughs) Yeah, fear, right? So we fear, then we consume more. Some of us bring out the plastic and we spend more than what we earn and we do it on a regular basis. And so we're way, we're way behind. We're way in debt. Now, uh, that's not what we do as Christ followers, Let me just stop and say, if you, if you got a little uptight, if your blood pressure got a little high and if your butt cheeks got a little tight when I said money today, (laughs) I think that's a strong indication that you have a scarcity mindset. I'm not condemning you for it. I'm just calling it out. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, we're supposed to respond differently. We do something first. And because we do something first, God does something in return And it creates a different cycle. You get to choose which cycle you're going to ride from day to day. You can choose that that scarcity cycle or you can choose what I call the provision cycle. So let's look at the provision cycle. God provides. We do something first. We give. It takes no faith to give at the end of the month. It takes faith to give at the beginning. We're going to talk next week. I'm going to walk you through the scripture And I'm going to show you exactly from Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, where we get this beliefs. You're going to have a Bible study next week if you show up about why we're supposed to be generous and where it comes from. Um, But we believe God provides. We give first because it requires faith. Second... God multiplies. So I add my tithe to the church. God multiplies it. It's so the loaves, towards the loaves and the fish. God took what the little boy gave. He's the only one who gave. God multiplies it. So even if, if you, if we're generous, God multiplies it. If, if, if you're stingy, God's going to multiply what other people give because that's just kind of God he is. So God multiplies what we give, but he also multiplies what we Uh, what we receive, and so uh, what we have left. So our 90% goes farther than someone else with a hundred percent because God multiplies. Then look what happens when, when I give first, my faith grows. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. When I give first, my faith grows and then I give more God. I can trust you. If God can't trust you with 10 bucks, he's not going to trust you with a million bucks. If you're not faithful, Jesus said this. If you're not faithful in little, you'll not be faithful with much. But God says, when you give first, He says, "I see what you did there." He multiplies it and He grows your faith and He turns you into a generous giver. And God gets all of the glory for that. That's what He wants. So when we go to to uh, Haiti, this is what we do. We we are generous. And Pastor Jude, we uh, last year we took two thousand dollars. We worked on his house. Other people, other groups came and they worked on his house. His house is fabulous for a three room house. Three, I don't know if they're bedrooms, I don't know. Three room house, but it looks great now. There's no air conditioning, there's no kitchen, there's no toilet inside. There's none of those things inside. Um it just, it just looks good and they remember and they are, they're grateful. This year we worked on, uh, Avrius' house. Avery. Just call him Avery if you can't say Avrius. We're very, Very grateful that we came and we worked for them. So you get to choose which cycle. You're going to be on the scarcity cycle or you're going to be on the provision cycle. You get to choose. Tithing breaks the cycle of scarcity. And it's a new cycle of provision. So how do you get on? First, I don't know why this is cutting out. We may have to go to the handheld tithing. uh, Well, first is we give generously. That's how we get on this cycle. Look what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. If you feel guilty, if you feel pressured, don't give. That's what scripture says. Why? <laughs> Look what it says. For, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. This is why we call it the joy basket. God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious, actually the the word could be um, translated hilarious giver. And we've been at some of those places where we didn't have enough money in the bank account to hilariously give. It is hilarious when you write one of those checks. The first year of this church or second year, I don't remember which year, it was actually that way. And Janie wrote the check and, and we gave it to church and we were praying to God that something would come in before Monday morning. We had gone to see some friends and they gave us $500, did not know what we were doing. And Janie tells me later, she almost didn't write the check because she saw 50 bucks in our checking account. And she said, God, we can't afford to give. And then she told me on the way home, she goes, I got a confession to make. And when, when I showed her that, I mean, God just Works. He may not give you 500. He may give you 50 cents. I don't know. That's his choice. As Jesus followers, the very first thing we do is we respond to him and we give to him. Um, So if you feel manipulated, don't give. And then look what happens. For God loves a cheerful giver and God will generously provide all you need. Does that sound like scarcity? God will provide all you need. Not greed. Does that sound like scarcity? Then look at the promise. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Pastor Jude, this year, as we're walking past his house, taking our buckets of sand down to uh, Avery's house. Um, Pastor Jude was standing there uh, when I came down one time and I poured out my bucket and Pastor Jude, he doesn't speak English and I speak very little Creole. He asked me, when are you coming back? And I said, well, if God if God allows, I'll be back next summer. If I'm still around, I'll be here next summer. And he said, that's too long. Avery comes out, and, and I was talking to him. Avery, um, he has a wife and about an eight-year-old daughter and, and a newborn. And Avery was blown away that we gave money to help build his house. And, and our, our translators told us that we probably moved his project of his house forward seven years by taking $2,000 down there. It would take him at least seven years, and that's if he's working all the time to save enough money to do on his house what our church allowed him to do. That man was was blown away, and he and Pastor Jude will never forget the generosity of this church. And you know who gets the glory? It's not Doug. It's not New Life. It's God. As Jesus followers, the first thing we do is we give and God blesses it. He multiplies. We give because God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you got to give. Now, what is the tithe? It's, it's 10%. It comes from the Hebrew word masur, which means one tenth, one tenth of everything that, that comes in, we give back to God. And people say this all the time. We're going to study this next week. People say, well, isn't that just Old Testament? You need to understand, two times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two times in the Gospels, Jesus said, you should tithe, but don't forget mercy and sacrifice and love. Jesus, it, it, what Jesus is saying is, we, the tithe, that's just what we do. The tithe is the beginning of generosity. We're going to do these other things in addition to that. Um, of course we tithe. It's just what we do. Now, I want to give you three things real quickly. And then we're done. The power of the tithe. T-I-T-H-E is is what it means. 10%. First one is, it teaches us to put God first. This is, this is Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to always put God first in your lives. Now, some of you say, I hear this all the time. People say, do you understand... What a big deal it is for me to give 10% of my income. For me to do that, I would have to totally, totally change my heart, change my priorities, and put Jesus first. Is that what you're asking me to do? And the answer is... Do you realize how much faith it would take for me to give 10% the first 10% instead of the leftovers? And the problem with that is, well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, God says give first. The second problem is you don't have any leftovers when you do it that way. And so God gets a big fat zero. Do you realize what kind of faith? Are you asking me have to have crazy, earth-shattering faith? Yes. That's exactly what I'm asking you to do. And the proximity to Jesus will determine whether you're obedient or not. Far from Jesus, shriveled up heart, hard heart. Near Jesus, you say, I I, I give because you first gave. It's a no brainer. Second, it builds our faith. Malachi 3:10 says, "Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house." What are those next two words? Test me. What are those next two words? They are under, uh, underlined, underlined. They are bolded and underlined. What are those next two words? Test me. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, if you know anything about Jesus, when, whenever um, Satan was tempting him, Jesus said, "You shall not put the Lord your God to the test." But here, the only time in Scripture, God says, test me. It's okay to test me, and it has to do with money. He says, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. He says, you don't believe it? Try it. We have people in this church who have tried it. In fact, I'll just throw this out there. I'll give you a money-back guarantee. Now, you don't get to be an idiot with your money and then say, ah, God didn't bless me. You got to follow a few principles, but if you give to God and you try to follow God's principles with your money and he doesn't bless you, the church, I just heard an amen from one of our board members. We will give you your money back. Try it for six months. We will give you your money back. In fact, we'll double your money. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff's butt cheeks just got tight on that one. Give it a shot. See if God's economy is not different. God is saying 90% with supernatural blessing is always more than 100% cursed. Always. The last thing is it provides for the work of God's church. It's the bride of Christ. I have brought the tithe for 32 years. 33 years. I did that in the first service too. 33 years. When I was 19, I thought, you know, I should put this into practice. That's when God called me to be in ministry and I thought, I can't, I can't lead anybody someplace I'm not going. I remember sitting down at the table every Sunday. My dad would write out a check and, and some of you don't know what that is. Ask your grandmother what a check is. She'll tell you what that is. But I remember dad writing out a check even when we were on strike. When we were on strike, dad didn't work. We didn't have money coming in. I remember my dad writing a check to the church. And I thought, I, it's time for me at 19. If I'm going to be a minister, it's time for me to, to, Live what I say I believe. For 32 years, I've been, I've been bringing the tithe because of what God did in me and for me. And because when I get closer to him, we don't give just the tithe. We give over and above the tithe. We, we do that because we see what God does and God is faithful. The church is called the bride of Christ. And one of the reasons that I, I have life insurance is so that if something happens to me, my bride is taken care of. I believe that's just basic wisdom is to provide for my bride. Let's say that I allow you to be the executor of my estate and I say, number one, you need to make sure my bride is taken care of. And you don't take care of my bride. What does that say about how you feel about me? What does that say about your integrity? If I give you everything you need to take care of my bride, and you say, forget that, we do it every week when we neglect the bride of Christ. I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do. I'm asking you to do it because I know what God will do in your life if you test him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you make New Life a generous people. I pray that you grow our hearts and that part of the legacy of this church is when we have a clothing giveaway, everybody walks away unbelievably blessed. When we have food giveaway, people walk out of here, they can't even carry it all because we're so generous. When we go to Haiti, we take enough money to not just do one house, we do two or three houses, maybe a whole neighborhood someday. Wouldn't it be awesome for your name and for your glory if we understood the concept of being generous. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we get that sacrifice, help us to become generous. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.